This is the Barbarian Rhetoric Podcast. Acta non verba. Welcome back to another episode of Barbarian Rhetoric. I have uh, Scott, who's been on the show before. We got down some nice deep rabbit holes. Welcome back, Scott. Thank you much. Appreciate it. Glad to be here. And then... Don't let me screw this up because I'm I'm horrible at my part. How do you say your last name? Ortlib. O-R-T-L-I-P, Ortlib, yeah. Okay. Because I know if I, I can, say uh, – yeah, I'll, I'll mess it up, but I got my buddy Scott um, Barker too, so I, I'm defining which Scott's here today. <laughs> no worries. No worries. Yeah. Excellent. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's an honor to be here. It's uh, great to be back to discuss some big ideas again. Um, I know that you've been following my path the last couple of months uh, and kind of the changes that have been going on for me. And so I'm, I'm pleased to be here to talk about them. About them. And let's see, let, let's, let's jump into it. The last time we really chatted, there was uh, Atlanta was a mess. A bit of riots were going on. You'd taken a trip out to Denver, went back to Atlanta. And then the next thing I know, you're like, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> so let's pick <laughs> Not up too from far there. Off. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the, the riot started back in April or, or May or whenever it was. Um, I can't recall exactly, but, uh, you know, this isn't really connected to how, to why I eventually ended up leaving the corporate world. Um, you know, one of the buildings in the base of, or one of the stores in the base of my building was uh, actually um, looted, pillaged by the the rioters. And so, that was a little bit disconcerting. Um, but besides that, yeah, I've, I, uh, I was working for a company called SFR three LLC. I was, um, I was the, uh, acquisitions director for North Carolina. Uh, and so I was buying single family houses all throughout the, the state of North Carolina and I was making a buttload of money. I was doing very well. I had a six figure salary and then bonus on top of that, uh, based off of commission as well as my performance in negotiations. So money was not an issue. And I'll remind you that I'm 25. Uh, you know, I was doing very, very well. And I kind of lucked into this after, you know, two prior job hops. Um, and, you know, one of my greatest skills, I think, is the ability to weave bullshit. And that's what had gotten me so far and uh, in, in finding a new, you know, new positions after other ones, um, you know, had, had panned out as much as they were going to. But uh, you know, I've, I've just been following, um, you know, there's a guy named Kai Lenny who is, uh, he's a big surfer, big professional surfer. And then Sage Catabrigo Losa is a professional skier and a bunch of other people like this. And I hate to idolize this person, but Dan Bilzerian is another individual. Not that I want to emulate Dan Bilzerian, but I was just thinking, you know, there are people out there who have incredible lives, who are professional skiers, who are, uh, who are, you know, professional surfers, mountain climbers, people who get paid to go on expeditions, uh, you know, wildlife photographers. There are people out there who are doing these absolutely amazing paths that they're making their bread from. And I started to think, you know, what's the reason why I can't have a path that, you know, I can derive an enormous amount of happiness from in addition to making money. And so this, this idea had just been gestating in my head for a while. Uh, of, you know, people have incredible lives. Why not me? Why shouldn't I be one of those people as well? And, um, you know, my, not to, 
say that my life was in any kind of way a, a bad life. You know, right. I was frankly living a lot of people's dreams, but that's the whole thing is that I was living someone else's dream. I was in the high flying, you know, high flying California based finance, private equity scene. And it just was not working for me. It was not giving me any joy. I was not enjoying the daily day, the day to day interactions. I was not enjoying um, the, excuse me, the type of work that I was having to do. I was not enjoying how some of the stuff, you know, while it was not wrong, it certainly felt like it violated my moral code. Um, and it just, it, it ended up, I, I ended up not being a good temperamental fit for it. And I realized that I didn't, I wasn't just a bad temperamental fit for that company. I was a bad temperamental fit for office jobs in general. <laughs> <laughs> and so I quit to go and work on a farm. And so I went to work on a farm called White Oak Pastures in South Georgia. And uh, I had a really amazing time there. I was able to reconnect very much so with the physicality of work. That's something that I'd hated about the office environment was that, um, you know, I, working with your mind is something that I, working with my mind is something I greatly enjoy. The only issue with that is that um, that's only when things interest me. I'm a very curious person. I really enjoy pursuing different knowledge you know, different avenues of knowledge. Uh, I, I can't count how many different interests that I have. Something will just capture me and I'll go down a hole and learn about it. But when I'm forced to think about the same thing every single day over and over and over again, especially a thing that I'm not inherently interested in, it just drives me insane. And that's what was happening in the corporate world. And also the fact that I was being deprived of an ability to physically use my body, which I'm very proud of and that I've worked very hard for. And I've had a lot of history with, you know, being a varsity rower and um, being almost to a national team caliber rower. Um, it was just great to reconnect with picking up feed buckets and, and carrying calves, you know, and running after pigs, you know, piglets and that kind of thing. It was, it was a really wonderful experience. Um, and so that's, uh, that concluded around Christmas when I ended up catching COVID oh. and, uh, yeah, they were like, all right, you, you need to leave. <laughs> um, <laughs> I wasn't the person who had brought it to the farm, but I got it. And so they wanted us all the quarantine. And so I figured, uh, you know, I, I got over it in three days um, because I pay attention to my nutrition and uh, my supplementation. So it was literally a cakewalk. And um, I have come out to Cal to uh, Colorado now, and I've been skiing since early January. It's now January 27th. And uh, in not too long, come April 1st, I'm going to be working on a sailboat in Maine. Nice. So nice. it's, uh, it's been a bit of a ride since August of last year when I quit my job, uh, to, or September when I quit my job to now, but I got to tell you, it's been unbelievably freeing to sever myself from the corporate structure. Uh, and, and, that really is acting as a proxy for severing myself from the weight of expectations of society and of the, you know, the expectations that my parents really put on me and whatever else it's um, it's been really freeing to start pursuing what Scott wants instead of what, you know, the world decided that I ought to be and mm -hmm. what success is defined as. Now, are you working out in Colorado as a ski instructor or something, or are you just playing? No, I. Uh, one of the perks of having made so much money in the short time that I was in the corporate world is that I'm 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 just a professional ski bum right now. Awesome. Uh, and you know, this wouldn't be a long term plan for me. Certainly not. It, right. I already have you know I already have the plan in place 
for from April until November, I'm going to be working on that on that sailboat in Maine, sailing around Acadia National Park. And that's going to be absolutely amazing. Um, but I'm not the kind of person to let grass grow under me. Uh, I, I don't think I could stand just being a ski bum. I need to have <laughs> something that I'm like working on or, or learning right. um, or pushing myself. Not to say that being a ski bum doesn't allow you to push yourself. I recently, you know, jumped a couple of cliffs that formerly really scared me. And that's been a way to, you know, push my boundaries. But, um, you know, <laughs> it is a perk to have a bit of a bit of excess cash in reserve. Now <laughs> with you going into sailing, are you adding in like, um, you're going to work to get your captain's license? So that's a good question. Um, I was actually speaking with, uh, I was speaking with another person at a camp out recently that I was at. I was, I'm an instructor at a wilderness school now. Uh, and so I flew back to North Carolina and drove to Georgia to do that. And one of the guys I was talking to there has a merchant Marine license. And he says, well, dude, you know, it's, it's just like getting a pilot's license. You have to have a certain number of hours at sea in order to get certified in different things. And I, I hadn't realized this. I didn't, I didn't know that you needed hours at sea. And I, I just had never looked into what the process was for becoming, you know, a captain of one of these vessels or even a licensed mate. And, uh, he said, you should look into this, this company called C school and, uh, they'll basically hold your hand through the whole process, but it'd be smart to get the process started so you can start counting these hours. So yes, very much. So I'm, I'm, this is not just going to be kind of a, a passive, uh, experience. I will be working toward trying to get either a first mate license or a, or a captain's license, which would allow me to potentially move forward with sailing as a career path. If it happens to be what I really enjoy. Right. I'm not just going complete. Well, I've gone completely rogue, but I'm not going completely rogue simply to try to uh, simply to try to have as much fun as possible. My core driving ethos is I'm trying to find something that I can define as my new purpose. You know, man is worthless without purpose. And so that's what I'm trying to, to discover is what is the path that Scott, that what is the intersection of Scott's interests with the world's needs and where is that point going to be, you know, most uh, maximally gratifying to myself and maximally valuable to the world? Because if that, if I can find that point, then I'll be happy and rich. So, you know, yeah. well, and, and why I ask that is like, that's one of the things on my list of things I'm looking at doing. It's like, I want to add a few more. And I'm going to just use the, uh, the simple term of certifications because that covers a lot of different areas. But it's like one of my goals is I want to get dive certified. You, you, once you get certified, you're certified for life. I want to get me and my boy because it's like I want to do some diving. And my thought is like, well, I want to hit the ocean more. Not something I've done most of my life, but I have a list of certifications already for things I've done. And recently they're helping me out in some of my own endeavors now that I had them shelved for 20 years. Mm. So picking up your captain's license now, it might be like, no, nah, I don't want to sell the rest of my life. But if you get your captain's license and then you have your diving license and then 10 years down the road, someone goes, hey, you want to do an expedition? And all you got to do is a quick renewal and be like, yeah, I can be a captain for you. You, you know, it, it, it's like, it, really, it's yeah. building, you're building skill sets. Yeah. And I think a lot of people go, well, I'm going to go sailing for six months. Okay, that's all well and good. But 
why don't you you like you said you're already doing it so why not, why add not create a, a little bit of utility yeah in you might get done and be like at the end of it and go you know this is just not for me but yeah. you're 25 years old when you hit 35 you might go you know this guy's asking to do a big ship trip and then you got all these little skill sets and they're looking for that jack of all trade. Like you're talking like a professional um, water photographer. You don't, people don't realize how many certifications those guys have. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not just the guy that went and bought a camera and jumped in the water and started taking pictures. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, there's a guy called there's a guy uh, who runs an Instagram page named Mark Adamus, M A R C A D A M U S, and he does landscape photography all over the world, up in Alaska, down in the fjords in Chile, uh, you know, in the Yukon Territory, in the Northwest Territories, in the Himalayas. He's been everywhere, absolutely everywhere. And he he doesn't sell his photography. What he does is he sells photography expeditions. And what he does is he organizes all the logistics. He runs the boat. He, you know, contracts the llamas or the horses that are going to carry the gear. And then he is basically the guide. So he is facilitating other people going to beautiful locations instead of selling his artistry, right. you know, which is right in line, right in line with this. You know, he needs a boating license in Argentina. You know, he <laughs> exactly, you know? you know, that's exactly the kind of, and, and I have no idea what, I have no idea what the amalgamation of all of these skill sets I'm going to pick up is going to be, but I trust very much so that it's going to use all of them and it's going to be really interesting. Well, in adding them all together, I mean, I, I've dug into my history a little bit. I, I'm a jack of a lot of trades and really barely a master of one. So but, but it's allowed me to get into a lot of different professions. Uh, well, not professions. Got me into a lot of jobs. Well, can you do this? Yes. This? Yes. This? Yes. Mm -hmm. Is there anything you can't do? Not really. No. In this field, I got it all covered. Oh, okay. <laughs> you, you know, it's cool. one of those. It's like, you're overqualified for this. Well, no. <laughs> this is what I want to do. Um, yeah. So it's like. The last the, I'm doing a, some part-time driving for a farmer just to get out of the house and travel a little bit. <laughs> yeah. He's like, are you sure you want to do this? I'm like, this is exactly what I want. And <laughs> because it's um, day drives, I might leave out early. Some of them have been 12, 14 hour days, but not too many. Most of them are six to 10. And then I get to come home, spend time with my boy. So uh -huh. it works out great. You know, and it's like, well, isn't that a, a step backwards? No, <laughs> not for me, because right now with everything half-ass closed up, it's been great. It's like I get to go visit yeah. people. It's giving you a reason to go and move. And it gives you purpose, too. It gives you a mission. Yep. Every day. And meet some neat people, see some good countryside, move some heavy stuff around. So just like you said, you know, it's like I, I spend five to 10 hours a week in the gym. What's the point if you never use your muscles? Yeah, I totally get it. I completely agree. 
you know, it's another reason I'm excited about the ship is it's another opportunity for me to use my physicality. Yeah. You know, I've been, uh, I've been fantasizing about like what I'm going to do after the ship. If I end up, you know, I, and regardless of whether or not I like it there, you know, the ship gets put away in November because the Harbor freeze is over. Okay. So, you know, it's, that's, it's kind of a self-limiting, uh, kind of a self-limiting, um, experience. And I'm looking at what I'm going to do after that. Well, I was just talking to one of my buddies, you know, and, and this is kind of where my mind has gone is now that I'm no longer tied to an office in a desk job and needing to be in an office from eight to five, five sevenths of my days, you know, now that that's no longer necessary for me, what's the coolest shit I can think of to do with my time. And so uh, one of my buddies was a musher in Alaska. He was a sled dog handler. Oh. Uh, and so he told his t- telling me it's a heck of a lot easier to get into that than most people realize. And so I, uh, I'm trying to line up either a sled dog mushing um, <laughs> job for next winter, or I'm going to try to go to work in a steam locomotive uh, maintenance shop. Wow. So I'm like, these are the coolest things I can think of. I'm going to go do them. Cause now I don't like, I'm not scared of being poor anymore. Like having, having money is, is great, but having no money and having experiences that you cherish is so much better. Like, and then optimally having lots of money and experiences you cherish is the best, but I'm not there yet. So what I'm choosing is I'm choosing my happiness over material wealth, which I think I think it would behoove everybody to do that, frankly. I, I think you win in the long run. I, I'm on a, I've been on a roller coaster through the years on that concept, and I'm back to, yes, I would rather have an experience than a ton of cash. Yeah. You, you know, hey, it, you, you're going to be poor, but you get to see the world, or you have to stay in one place and you get to be a billionaire. Yeah. Uh, definitely going to choose the prior. Yeah. You you know, know, it's it's definitely more comfortable to cry in a Mercedes than on a bicycle, but, (laughs) but you didn't want to have to cry on a bicycle unless it's tears of joy. You know, it's like, so, but yeah. Ooh, a musher. See, I don't, I'm trying to, Oh, there was a movie slash, you know, I'm thinking of the book about, um, Oh man, that's going back a long time. I haven't thought about mushing really since I was like 14. There was some like there was some uh Disney video Disney movie that came out in 2002 about it, I think. Sled Dogs okay. or something like something that. Snow Dog. Yeah. yeah. And that's where I first saw about it. It was all about the Iditarod and it just seems cool. So Yeah. You no. Know, that's you know, I I've I I I follow a lot of different influencers who put out wisdom bullshit whatever you know everybody from grant cardone to gary v to elliot holst to casey zander just a ton of different influencers jack donovan jocko willing jordan peterson i I could go on and on about all the different people who i've listened to and and who i've absorbed knowledge from but you know my favorite my favorite idea you know and of course like elliot talks about purpose all the time and casey zander talks about purpose all the time and jordan talks jordan peterson talks about purpose all the time but nobody really comes up with a useful framework or structure to help you discover that purpose if it's not just given to you immediately some people know like i want to work 
in counseling, mental health counseling. And they just know that that's exactly what they want to do. Other people are like, I know for sure that I want to be an artist. Some people are crazy about the deal and they love investment banking, you know, but there isn't, you know, there's not really a, a laid out pattern or structure over which people can, that people can use to try to find what, uh, find what fits. Right. And so, you know, really the only person who I've heard has, excuse me, who has a reasonable developmental framework around that is Gary V. And he says, in your twenties, you just got to go goddamn rogue. Mm-hmm. Like, fuck the path, fuck the system, go and just try different things. It's all going to make sense later. You know, it's, it, you don't have to, and you know, there are trade-offs here. Like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of running the middle path because I've had three years of corporate experience. I have a 401k, I have a Roth IRA, they're going to grow, you know? Right. So as long as I don't go touch those things, like financially, I'm not in, I'm not going to be in bad shape, but at the same time, it's far more important for me to go and find again, that intersection of my desires and my interests with the world's needs to find a purpose and a passion, something that I could work for, if not for the rest of my life, for at least 10 years, right. something that I can really throw myself at. And that, and, and the only way that I'm going to find that given that my first passion was rowing in college. And that came to an abrupt end in 2017 when I graduated you know, since then I've, I really haven't felt a call toward anything besides maybe, you know, my steer the steer, uh, Instagram, I I ran for a while and, and, uh, this wilderness school that I am, and I'm a sporadic instructor at. And so I'm really looking for, you know, I'm really looking for that. Try, I'm trying to listen to the whisper within, right. You know, well, and mushing goes along with the expedition. Mm-hmm. See, see, I'm just thinking, well, you got to know how to take care of animals and livestock on an expedition. And if you end up in Antarctica or the North Pole, you'll probably end up mushing. So it all had to get, see, to me, that all fits. Yeah. You know? And, you know, the way things are going, you know, if they crash diesel and fuel and oil, you might end up back with steam engines once again. <laughs> so it's a possibility that they wouldn't learning. Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> oh man. You, you know, nothing surprises me along that lines. It's, it's, we, we go back to stuff. History repeats itself. We keep reusing technology. So yeah, that would be working around steam engines would be fun. I think mm-hmm. I'd flip my coin toward musher just because I mean, well, up in there, it just, well, there's no reason why I can't do both. That's my exactly. mindset is I can mush this winter, this coming winter, and then try and get a job on the Durango Silverton Railroad or maybe the North Conway Scenic Railway Railway, or the Great Smoky Mountain Scenic Railway or any of these other places, Tweetsie Mountain in North Carolina. You know, they all have steam locomotive preservation projects that I'm sure that they would be happy to take on some help for. You know, right. on either, and I have the luxury of offering that as either in a paid or unpaid position. So again, there's no reason why I can't do both. I'm just kind of in this position where I have this absolutely, probably overinflated sense of self-confidence and the ability to create whatever future that I want. And I I'm wouldn't try say to it's over that as long as I can. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say it's overinflated at all. I mean. See, now you got me thinking back and being a little bit nostalgic of what, how I was in my twenties and some of the ventures I took. 
it's like, what did I have to lose? You know, that, that's how I thought in my twenties. It's like, yeah. I am, it's just me. I have nothing to lose. Um, my mentor used to say that I was the wealthiest homeless person he knew because <laughs> I didn't really have a place I lived. I had, I had a couple of different trailer campers. I had this little apartment thing, but every time he called me, I was living in something else. Being a truck driver for a while, I, I had an address that was a mailbox and that's all it was. <laughs> and then it was like, I just stayed at friends' houses for like two years or I'd stop by my parents and if I needed a weekend, I'd stay there. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's, I think that's exactly the point. You know, you're doing, you did exactly what I'm trying to do now, which is, you know, to a certain extent, there was absolutely nothing stable about your life. And you probably learned far more about yourself during that time than you have any other time in your entire life. You know, it's, it's the, it's the pressure of self-exploration. And uh, a huge part of that is not having any attachments that keep you to one place. It gives you the freedom to just uproot and go elsewhere. Right. Um, you know, I don't have a girlfriend. I've expressly kept from having a girlfriend for the last two and a half years, despite a number of girls trying to change that. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I was not willing to sacrifice my own agency. And, and looking back, you know, had I, had I, given in to the desire for stability and for the convenient sex and for, you know, having the, the domesticated lifestyle, then that's exactly what I would have become. I'd have become domesticated, addicted to a paycheck and perfectly happy to stay in my situation and try to preserve whatever situation that I had corporate wise, because it provided a good paycheck that allowed me to maintain the respect of my friends and, and fiance, you know, it's, it's so easy to sink into that. And that's not necessarily a bad path for people. It's, I think it's a great path for some people. I just realized it wasn't for me. Me. Yep. Yeah. No, and you did I, the same. I totally get that. Yes. And it, yeah. My stability sector came with having a son. I changed a lot of, things around when I had my son and, and that stabilized me like, like the, the house I currently live in, I currently now have lived the longest in one place in my entire life. So in the house before this would be the second and it's a few years shy. So the last two places have been stable, but it's like, I got a little bit more time and I'm already planning to go nomadic again. It's like, okay, what do we got to do when he gets of age, he's getting there fast. And it's like, I'm already planning my exit plan of what do I have to be to be a nomad again? So it's like, I hit my still stability era and, eh. and it's time to go back. It's time you to know, go back. A, there's a big world out there. Yeah. Go see it. So and try different things. And it's neat hearing you talk about, I maybe a year or two down the road, I'll hit you up on the sailing again, but it's like, <laughs> that's on my list. Cause another friend of mine got me into the sailing the last couple of years. And I've been sailing locally and, and on the lake and stuff. And it's like, you know, if I go become a captain, I don't have to buy a boat because they're expensive. 
Yeah. And someone pays me to captain their nice boat. To me, that's the best of both worlds. I get to go hang out on somebody else's nice boat, enjoy it, and get paid <laughs> for doing it. Yeah. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah. Well, you don't want to jinx it, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm totally with you. And that's kind of the way that I've been thinking about it is, you know, there are an enormous number of experiences out there that you can either pay for or be paid for. And there's some sacrifices that you have to make if you decide to be paid for them that you don't have to make if you can pay for them. But, but frankly, what we're talking about is we're talking ingredients of good. You know, it is good to go sailing for eight months either way, in my opinion. Right. It is good to go sailing on the lake. It is good to go sailing and become a captain. It is good to be nomadic. It is also good to be stable. They both have their place, but they also have their time. And, you know, it's, it's, see the seasonality of life is such that I am not in a position where I can truly just uproot and say, I am going to go and sail for eight months on my own dime. You know, I'm not there yet. Exactly. (laughs) As well off as I am. I'm not, I'm not there as much as I'd like to be. But at the same time, you know, something that I'm really excited about is I've always been, you know, to a certain extent, I've been in a customer service role in some in some regards, you know, relationship management uh, is, is, you know, the foundation of customer service. And, you know, as the acquisitions director, I was managing a network of brokers and, and wholesalers that we were purchasing properties from. And, and it's very important that you maintain relationships there because in single family real estate, that's very much so a business that's based off of how individual people interact. Right. You know, people are going to bring you the first, the deal first, if they like you, um, and so, you know, I've got some experience with that, but what I'm super stoked about is that I'm really going to be in a service aspect uh, on this boat. I'm going to learn a very different side of the working world. You know, I've, I've now done, you know, the corporate white collar, people are sucking up to you, you're sucking up to other people. Uh, I've now worked on a farm with people who make $8 an hour chasing chickens and covered in shit. And uh, now I'm going to go and learn how to serve people, you know, and and keep them happy in a customer, in a true customer service role on a boat as I take them around and help them, you know, enjoy their experience. I think that's going to be a great learning opportunity for me. Absolutely. You know, the best, the best piece of advice that I think I've ever gotten. And I finally took it to heart, really. Um, I finally, I kind of pseudo took it to heart to, and that guided the first part of my path through the corporate world because I, I didn't do what the typical Ivy league, uh, you know, come out, go straight into investment banking at JP Morgan or Goldman Sachs or go to Bain, uh, Boston consulting group or McKenzie. Like I didn't do that and then proceed to private equity. That's, that's, you know, that's the, the path as it's defined by, by a lot of people at Dartmouth where I went to school. Um, I had a, I had an internship during my junior summer with, um, a private equity group in New York that I won't name. Um, and the, the main, the, the principal of the group told me, he told me this on my exit interview. He said, do not go banking. Do not go into investment banking. What you need to do is you need to go and get operational knowledge, go out, go into some different fields and learn how the business is actually run. That's what he did. He specializes in the travel space. He started out as a bellman at a hotel. 
that was his first job out of college, mind you, you know, and now he's running, uh, you know, multi, I think the, they did a $750 million deal with JP Morgan on a particular, on a particular business. They've done a $1.5 billion acquisition. You know, they're, they're pretty big and he runs the whole thing. And it's right. all because of his operational knowledge that he is the one who provides value to these other companies. Um, and so he told me like, look, don't go, don't feel like the, the traditional track is, is the only way, you know, go unconventional. And that's why I went to real estate. And then I went immediately to private equity. And then I moved to another PE firm. And then I realized, okay, what I really need, instead of trying to just throw money around and manage money and, you know, buy things is instead of being the acquisitions director, I need to be the renovations manager. If I'm going to be here, I need to understand how the actual value is being generated. I need to go somewhere else where I'm learning an actual industry and learning how it works rather than just being in the managerial floating along in the managerial track, being a wallflower to the actual cash flow generation. So that's, that's, that has really hit home for me finally. And it drives exactly with what Gary V talks about, which is, you know, there's no need to stick to, to a traditional path when you're young, going rogue is an integral part of finding your purpose for Pete, for those of us, who, who are not given the gift of understanding their purpose fresh out the gate. Right. And it's a different era from when my grandfather, you know, we're talking shoot 60, 70, 80 years ago. He was like, one of his favorite comments was I would rather sell pencils on the corner instead of working for somebody. <laughs> and his thought came from more of a factory worker mentality, not the corporate side. You know, he grew up depression era, that type of stuff. Everybody was going to the factories. They're all working in factories. And he just, it, it's probably why I despise that. I shouldn't say despise. I don't care for, I don't have a factory worker mentality. And I think it's because he despised the factory worker mentality. He, on one hand, he's like, I'm thankful that we have these guys or I wouldn't have things. <laughs> but on the yeah. same token, he's like, that's not me. Yep. And I think that's where a lot of it came. Both my grandfathers, I think had a lot of indirect influence on my thoughts of, I, I can't just go, I can't do the same thing day in and day out. It's mm -hmm. just not in me. I, I need variation. I, I need a certain bit of chaos to my life, as strange as that yeah. sounds. Yeah, at least for a time. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be forever. Like, I'm sure I it almost of a necessity, I'll have a more stable period in my life. Because while I'm extremely single right now, uh, you know, I, I do have aspirations of raising a family at some point in time. And I understand that for the benefit of the children, it's better to have a stable situation for them to, you know, come up in so that they feel safe in the world and they have some consistency and are able to build friends and, and, and build a healthy ability to, to build relationships, you know, and that's, so there will be a season for that. But again, I think we've, we've quite agreed that now is not the time. The time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I as, think as as uh, Inspector Clouseau would say, Kato, now is not the time. time. And see, that's one that I've debated, and I'll I'll still debate, and even with the path I chose, 
me, uh, like when I was 16, I had moved 16 times. My dad moved a lot for his job doing everything. So I moved around a lot. So I never had solid roots as a kid. Just, mm. I didn't build those friendships. I had a couple of young friends, but I never, to this day, I still, I don't have like the high school buddy type thing. I have none, no grade school friends. And mm. um, I flipped the script and then I created stability for my son so he could have all of that. We've basically been in the same school system, in the same house, his like grade school years and everything going now now he's actually homeschooled because of all the crazy and some of the crazier stuff that illinois wishes to do but it's like i watch other things and it's like you you got to decide how you want to create it because i've been watching going back to sailing because i do have the itch for that there's quite a few families that they've taken their kids and their uh you know, they're showing their kids the world on a sailboat. And to me, that's like, how amazing is that? There's going to be some mm-hmm. of the smartest kids. What do they do? They know the sailing community. They know the kids on the other boats. Are they hanging out with them on a day-in, day-out basis? No. But they're still socializing. Mm-hmm. Um, I was watching one, and they took these guys up parasailing. Yeah. You know, it's not like you can just run out and go parasailing anytime you want. And then I'm like, or they're windsurfing in, in, you know, Southeast Asia. It's like those kids are all getting experiences at a young age. Is, is that bad? And part of me goes, no, you know, it's like to them, but what do they have? Let's flip it a little bit. And it's like, let's talk stability. What do they have? They have a boat. You know, they have their family core. I'm sure they sail with a certain group of people. They meet up at different places. They have that core community. So it doesn't sound stable, but really it is. Mm-hmm. So I th- I think I, I went the, the old homeschool, no homeschool, the old route of like following a path, like you said earlier. And I did that with, I found a small village to raise my son and had the village help me raise him. Mm-hmm. So I made all those connections, which is a really an old school mentality. And nowadays I look back and go, Hmm, this didn't really fit my personality, but this is what I felt like I needed to do. So I say all that in when you get to that time, really think about it. Don't, don't go, well, society says I need to just stay in one spot and everything. I think there's options to it. I think, I don't know if I chose wrong, but I think I could have made some better choices. Mm-hmm. So especially looking around and seeing what some other families are, hell, put everybody in a schoolie and drive around and, and you got a whole community there. You know, it's like that has its options. Yeah. And with the, with the wonders of the internet today, you know, it is possible to generate income off of just living in living these lives and filming them that other people wish to emulate or, or, or pine for, right. You know, it's the people with the most incredible lives who all they have to do is film their life and other people watch it. Exactly. You know, 
So maybe, maybe I'll end up doing that. <laughs> <laughs> well, start vlogging, start putting all the videos up, <laughs> get that camera out and be like, <laughs> Oh yeah. And, and I think, you know, and I know you can look at YouTube comments and that, you know, mostly where these guys are and there's a ton of haters. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, is because they don't, they have a fear of going and doing it themselves. And it's the crab in the bucket mentality. They'd rather pull someone else down than go out and experience it themselves. Yeah, that, it's totally true. And, uh, you know, something else, I've done a lot of research on depth psychology lately, and I've been doing a lot of work on myself, um, Jungian and Graphian type, uh, excuse me, uh, type psychology. And a lot of that is just projection. You know, there's something in themselves that they hate about themselves that they see in someone else, you know, and thus they project hatred of it. So perhaps these people who are hating on, you know, let's say that they're watching a video of somebody sailing around Tahiti with their two kids, you know, well, they gave up the dream of doing that 30 years ago. And now, and, and they've buried that so far down in their psyche that they've, and have gone so far down the path of reinforcing that the only way to do it is the way that they've done it, which is, you know, suburban normalcy, not that there's anything wrong with that, but when they see somebody out there doing the thing that they wish that they had done, they hate themselves for not having done it and thus hate the person and project that hatred. And it's a subconscious action. That's something else I've discovered is almost everything that people do Anytime that they hate somebody, project something like that, or or slander someone else, 99% of the time, you know, of course, the examples where people really hurt somebody else and, right. you know, and intentionally do it. But 99% of the time, if somebody just pisses you off, look at, look at what it is about them that pisses you off and ask yourself, like, where is that in me? Like, because that's where it's going to be is chances are good. You're just pissed at yourself about something you don't understand about yourself. And by looking at what it is about them that you hate, then it can tell you a little something about yourself and you can help to integrate that part. That's you know a very, very that? brief summary of shadow work, but how? <laughs> Stuff that my son does that annoys the living daylights out of me. <laughs> that's when it finally like i read everything that you're talking about and Uh it never sunk in until he was doing something one day and i almost hollered at him and i stopped myself and went why is he doing this and why am i pissed at him and it comes back to all the because they're mini me's they're mimics yeah so they do exactly what you do. They don't care. They don't give a damn what you say. They do what you do. Do exactly. So it was like, I do this. So to correct this, I have to fix myself first and then I can yeah. help fix him. But that's when that yeah. truly sunk in and how, oh, how he was probably eight or nine years old when that first registered. And it was like a light bulb going off. I'm like, okay, he got me. <laughs> it's like, yeah yeah the whole of yeah do what i say not what i do it's like no no that, that, that's so yeah mm, that doesn't work <laughs> yeah oh lord well cool 
you're having an adventure and i and i think that's an awesome thing in itself i I think too many people skip the adventures in their lives yeah as uh as nietzsche would say you know in uh in thus spoke zarathustra or zarathustra wow that's bad thus spoke zarathustra um you know i'm out in the desert right now i am you know i was the camel loaded with expectations and i'm in the desert and I'm ditching the expectations as I go along and soon I shall slay the dragon thou shalt. And I currently have my foot on the dragon thou shalt's neck and I'm, I'm waiting for April 1st to really, you know, run away to sea to finally kill the, the dragon of expectation. You know, that would be a metaphorical way of understanding what I'm doing. It's very much so a quest though, if we're going to talk in archetypal language here. Um, you know, I don't know exactly what my quest is, but my quest is for the quest exactly that is the the, quest i'm questing for the grail and what the grail is is you know nobody knows what the grail is but it's something that's going to be of enormous value to you is how it's often defined in an archetypal sense and i don't know what that's going to be but i know that i need to be searching for it right well and on an uh exchange on ig the other day i i posted a picture about standing at the top of a mountain and in my next comment on that was, and I'm looking at the next one, yeah. you know, you get to the top of the mountain and, and I've been to the top of some smaller ones. It's some good scenery, but then it's boring. There's nothing there. You, you know, the adventure, the fun, all the excitement was to climb up the mountain and then you yeah. like peak and you got to look around and I think good men look at the next mountain that they're going to go climb. Yeah. Well, Reinhold Messner, who was the first person to climb Everest without oxygen, uh, supplementary oxygen, he's got this great quote. He says, it's not important that man explore mountains. It's important that man explore himself. The mountains are only a medium. Yes. You know, it's the same stuff. It's all all this journeying, adventuring, mountain climbing <laughs> You know, they're all just metaphors for self-exploration, testing your own boundaries, testing your limits, seeing where you break, seeing where you stand strong, impressing yourself, understanding your limits. That's, that's all what it, that's all what it goes along. You know, there's a, I recently read a, the snows of Kilimanjaro, which is an Ernest Hemingway, um, an Ernest Hemingway uh, short story. I have it right here. It's sitting in front of me on top of a Stanislav Graf book that I've been assigned to read by my psychologist. Um, but I was, you know, I really connected with that book when I, with that short story, when I read it, you know, it's a guy who gets scraped by a, a thorn in Africa and he doesn't put iodine on it. And he ends up getting gangrene and his leg is rotting away. And he's just there sitting in his misery, drinking away and screaming at his, you know, at the woman who's there with him about all the things that he's done and doesn't have a chance to write about. And I connected that. I connected with that more so as instead of, you know, having, you know, what if, what if that was his first trip, you know, his first trip after having worked in the factory for 40 years and he ended up getting gangrene and dying. It's like, you know, what a waste what a waste it is for both the knowledge of a man who has lived to, to die without having write, without writing it to pass it on. And it's an equal measure of sadness when a man who has not lived does not get the chance to. Right. 
I agree. So I'd rather be the prior. <laughs> there we go. Exactly. Yep. When given the choice. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm. So. so when are you going to go sailing? Oh man. Blue water. I don't know that that's on the, that's on the horizon. Hopefully. Well, let's see. This is um, maybe March. We'll have, have the docks and boats back in and I'll be out on the water. I hope so. Um, to do the little local. Uh, I would love to, if I can pull it off this year, and my boy's already after me to try to like, he wants to go someplace this summer. So it's on the list of things to do. And I wanted to see about trying to get onto something down in the Gulf time, distance, everything. I may just try to do something on Lake Michigan, but I'm trying to do a multi-day sail or something, get a little bit. That'd be really cool. So being down in the Gulf would give you the flexibility to, you know, kind of go where the wind blows proverbially Lake Michigan's a, while at, while enormously large, it's a little bit more difficult to do that. Right. Yeah. You're, I mean, it's predictable. So <laughs> as much as the wind can be, it's predictable. So yeah. Yeah. That that's on the agenda. We'll see if we can make it happen or not. Um, some of my travel plans are like three and a half years off. So Gotcha. Yeah, the big travel plans anyway. Little trips till then. <laughs> keep exploring. See what I want to do. Keep planning. So, Awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm going to keep doing much of the same, and it'll be a joy when next we get to catch up about it. Yeah. So let's see. You you leave in April to go sailing, and you're done in November. So, yep. all right. I'll have then to put I'm try up. to go to Alaska. <laughs> go to Alaska. So I'll have to catch you about that time so we can recap how the sailing is. Sounds and then great we'll, to me. we'll find out if you end up going mushing or steam engine. That'd be <laughs> or option C, which the unknown. The unknown. The option C is, is open that some up, something else falls in your lap between now and then. So Failure is always an option. option. I'm yeah. going to work on that bucking bull breeding ranch during February, February for about a month. So if I like that, maybe I'll get an offer to come back for next winter. TBD. There we go. Oh, and also there's going to be a bison ranch roundup near Steamboat, Colorado in November that I'm going to try to get to. Nice. So I've got all these things. Again, what's the coolest shit I can do? Dude. How can I cram them all together? together. So Well... Yeah, you you might need to start vlogging along the way. I may. We'll see. I'll I'll learn about it. It's a dense space online, but I'll be doing enough cool shit that I'll be able to have some have some uh, clickbait headlines yeah, that are actually so real. Well, the other thing on that one is is you could just do um, not necessarily where you have to put it out all the time. Just start filming yourself from like now to whenever, and then put a little bit of a documentary together. Yeah, it could be good. I'm writing a, a that that could be a really fun thing to do. Um, I could also write a series of articles about it. You know, yes. I've, I've actually got an article uh, just dating right now. I wrote the the outline for it, and it was all of my philosophical influences for the last three years. <sighs> and so I've got this. I've got uh, I think 54 bullet points of wow. individual philosophical inputs that I'm going to be. It was basically my entire trip from being 
codependent, uh, you know, just leaving a codependent relationship now, you know, passing through pickup artistry to full, you know, stack manhood to red pill to uh, psychology to depth psychology to psychedelics to holotropics to uh, understanding the transpersonal and now uh, onward to understanding relational dynamics and uh, the endeavor for happiness and purpose. So I think that'll be a pretty good article. It's going to be long, but yes. uh, it's going to be good. Awesome. That I will look forward to reading that. Are, awesome. are you still using the typewriter? I do use the typewriter. Yeah. I'm still okay. writing letters back and forth uh, with a lot of my friends on that. I journal on it from time to time. Being as uh, nomadic as I am now, it's difficult to fly with that since it's large enough to be its own carry on. <laughs> <laughs> but once I, you know, it's again, it's the balance of stability. Once right. I have just enough stability to have it someplace, then, you know, then I'll keep it there. It's currently living in the apartment that I've had since uh, I've had, I've been paying rent on this apartment since September and I've spent maybe a grand total of three weeks there. <laughs> so, oh, well. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, good stuff, Nathan. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yes. I'm glad, I'm glad we finally hooked up. Um, we'll throw the, we, both Scott and myself had some challenging to make uh, challenges to make this happen. So I'm glad we were able to. Indeed. Yep. All right. Until next time, Scott, you have a good one, sir. You too. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Barbarian Rhetoric Podcast. I hope it's giving you something to think about in your own quest to develop a barbarian mindset. Because it's with this mindset that you'll find the skills, strength, attitude, will, and endurance to see things through and live within the civilization and still be a barbarian. We appreciate your feedback. We especially appreciate those who have been supporting the podcast. That's the Barbarian Rhetoric Podcast on our website, on Anchor FM, and on Spotify. You can find the show notes on the blog or anchor.fm slash barbarian rhetoric. If the podcast has been helpful to you, please let us know. You can do this by checking into the Apple Podcast app, give us five stars, and leaving us a short review. This will help us get our message out in front of many more people. You can also talk to us on social media and let us know what you are thinking about or how this has helped you. On Twitter, I am at Steel Jans. That's S-T-E-E-L-J-A-N-Z. And I'm also on Instagram, at Barbarian Rhetoric. There's also a couple other things you need to check out. One is the Barbarian Rhetoric blog. And of course, our newsletter. There's a pop-up which you'll see as soon as you land on the blog. Thanks for listening. And always remember to be a barbarian in a civilized world. An apex predator. Civilized world.